Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 158. Um, this week's going to be a little bit of a different show, we're just going to do a shorter episode, talk about some stuff that we wanted to talk about. Uh, originally we were going to have uh, Dr. Colin Bell on, um, but he ended up getting stuck at the airport, so he's going to just join us next Thursday instead. Um, uh, love him and his products, and he's an awesome dude. Uh, can't can't speak highly enough about him, and um, we will have him on for next Thursday. Um, fortunately, he ended up getting stuck with because of airplane delays. So, um, much love to Colin, and I hope he makes it safe. Um, how how you doing there, Mister Green Jeans? Doing great. Glad to be here. How are you, Steve? Doing good. <laughs> so, tell us what you've been up to in your garden. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> watering so much watering yeah because you know we're in we're in uh, southern california i mean this is los angeles plants are using crazy water now and uh and you know the, the, the humidity is is well no actually we we kind of get a little bit more humidity lately recently but still plants are just sucking up water you can't believe how much water a cannabis plant needs you know it's just <laughs> i mean everybody everybody out there uh, water your plants. Uh, and I know a, a bunch of my friends here in Los Angeles, everyone seems to have uh, a plant in their backyard. Everyone's growing this year too, you know, so, um, and not everybody has one in the ground. If it's in the ground, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot harder to, to underwater. A lot of people are growing plants in containers right now. And those are very much in danger of being underwatered unless you've got a good size runoff tray under that baby or unless it's still a tiny little plant in a gigantic pot. But, you know, it, but cannabis plants never stay little plants in big pots. You know, they only stay for like one week. And then, you know, two weeks later, the plant is, is already outgrowing its pot. So either it's time to replant or, you know, to repot that baby or, or stick a tray underneath it and water it like crazy. I, ma I, made, a, I made a video yesterday about repotting a big plant. I think Mrs. Green Jeans put it on my Instagram. I don't know if anybody wants to look at that, but I took a big plant out of a two and a half, two and a gallon pot and stuck it in a three and a half gallon pot. Needed to go, needed to get up canned. But, uh, oh, another thing, another thing, yes, about watering is that, you know, people don't, this is something from, uh, from uh, Elaine Ingham's channel. It was so cool the way uh, she mentioned this on, one of her podcasts on one of her things on YouTube, she said she talked about rooting, how important it is for plants to have deep roots. And she was talking about in terms of nutrients and the plants looking how plant food, how much food is available in the soil. And she made the she made the comparison to the extensive how extensive is the plant's roots? You know, how much roots does this plant have? So and, and and you know what i know the discussion it's on it's on her it's on her one where she shows a gigantic plug of grass uh they 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 dug up a um they dug, dug up a, a section of of grass with a pvc pipe and they and uh, took the pvc pipe apart and showed how much roots there are below this grass and you know the old the old myth is that there's there's as many roots below the plant as there is mass above the plant, which is kind of true. 
but in this, you know, kind of, but not really. I mean, obviously, this was an excellent uh, example of, of uh, you know, of times when the rule doesn't really hold because uh, she, she, Elaine showed where they had cut this grass twice. They'd cut it two, you know, two times. They'd planted it about five or six months ago. And so the grass was only about three inches long, but the roots were a good five or six or seven feet down from the plant. So, you know, the idea that when we trim grass roots, you know, that the roots are only down three inches or whatever is not really true. And uh, so when we consider that plants' roots could be, could be convinced to go down a lot deeper than they normally do, what's that doing is accessing all these other nutrients. You know what I mean? So when we talk about how much nutrients are available to a plant, really only talking about how much nutrients are available to the plant in that amount of root zone. But if you water in such a way as to get the roots to go down further in the soil. And so what's the key of doing that? The key of doing that is not frequently. It means watering heavily, watering thoroughly, but then holding off until the roots have a chance to grow down further in search of water down further in the soil. So that sounds, you know, uh, like what I just said, <laughs> don't, don't forget to water your plants. Okay. Now you're saying don't water them. Well, yeah. Watering is like the high Kung Fu of gardening. It's, uh, you know, with, with accurate watering, you could get your roots way down into the soil. And <laughs> then that plant is accessing all kinds of, other nutrients that it wouldn't otherwise be able to do. We see it all the time here in Los Angeles when people plant fruit trees. It's very, very common for people not to water them accurately enough in the first couple of years. So you'll see a tree like a semi, a semi-tropical tree, like a cherimoya or a sapote. And three or four years later, it's barely any bigger than it was before. And the reason why is because it wasn't really accurately watered. It wasn't, it was never watered, you know, when it needed it. It wasn't, hadn't been encouraged to grow its roots down deeply and access all those nutrients and everything like that. So it just took longer. You know, eventually those plants, those trees like that will catch up. You see them catch up, but I, I can walk up and down my street and, and see many, uh, trees that have been planted recently, which are languishing for the first couple of years, just because they're not really getting enough water. They're trying to live with root systems only down two or three feet deep and they're barely hanging on. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that, that's my rave, everybody. Water like crazy. Watering is the key. And it's more important than nutrients, right? Light and then water. <laughs> Without the water, how are the nutrients going to get there, right? They, we, the nutrients depend on, well, maybe not the, the CO2 doesn't depend on <laughs> the number one nutrient, but all the soil-borne nutrients depend on, you know, the water to deliver them. So, anyway, I, I anybody got anything to say about that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely, like, probably the hardest part of soil growing, for sure, is getting a feel on what, you know, and it's probably the hardest thing to teach someone also like it. Um, it's one of the hardest things to take to scale also. Uh, you know, like it's just, <laughs> it's a, it's a problem that, that comes up a lot. And so with a lot of, a lot of different ways to solve it, <clears throat> but, um, 
you know, if you don't have consistency in your environment and you don't have, then it, it can be difficult because, you know, certain parts of it will need more water than others. And if it's not adjustable in the right zone, you need to be able to do it. And it, you know, it can be hard to do commercial watering that uh, that's adjustable. It's expensive. Every, everywhere, you know, if you got 800 plants, you have to add another adapter with a valve, uh, you know, even if you're doing drip systems in a lot of cases, you know, the anything that's adjustable is more expensive. And then, uh, you know, so, it, and it's just a difficult thing to teach, you know, you, you know, you have your different met ways of determining whether or not you need to water, which is great. And you can calculate out times and people have little tips that you can go by to be able to do it. Uh, but, you know, even different strains, like stuff that you haven't, you know, done before. Um, you know, it's like one of the reasons why we advocate so much for test environments for commercial stuff is because you don't want to throw out, you know, a huge amount of plants that you haven't really grown before and, and run even just the risk of, of you know, a much lower yield or, or any type of complete loss per plant can can be difficult and sometimes it can just be really finicky about how much water they want, you know, like uh, OGs are kind of, uh, you know, famous for being finicky about their, their grow environment, especially if you want to get a lot of production as opposed to just quality. Uh, you know, even, even your like uh, Girl Scout cookies um, and stuff like that can be pretty finicky in terms of uh, quantity or yield, uh, quantity of yield, but maybe not quality it usually comes out really good so you, know, you have your big producers like blue dream and stuff like that that are just going to be better if you're more consistent you know how to water it but watering is just for soil growing is tough and it is one of the things that i think is so nice about dual root zone is you only have like two waterings before it hits the water in the aquaponic system and then you're kind of done you know like as long as you're you have your flood and drain system which i saw somebody in chat asked about if you do flood and drain or constant flow in a commercial system that still definitely do flood and drain um but yeah i think that uh that it really simplifies and cuts down on the amount of hand watering that you would have to do um to be able to keep plants at a um, yeah. and then they can just take up as much as they want to they can you know water themselves essentially and still have yeah. other parts of the root zone they can take in air and the, the gas exchange with, you know, like we talked about in the dual root zone, just helps that much more. So by eliminating probably the hardest part of teaching and scaling cannabis is kind of, you know, not necessarily neutralized, but, uh, you know, cut down on significantly by doing aquaponics or-, yeah. or Marty, you, you, you really nailed, you really, sorry. I was gonna say with the dual root zone, um, uh, like with the one we're building, we have it automated to where we'll have a, a, a one system and I can turn it on in sections or per row. Um, it has a little column and, and I have a feed line and then it's set on a, uh, on a certain timer um, that floods a, a separate column. Um, or I'm sorry, not column. Uh, sorry, I, I hit my head earlier today and I'm a little bit foggy. Um, that's a whole other story I'll get to a little later. Um, I tripped and fell and slammed my head on a, on a um, thing. Yeah, so so there's a guy in chat says the aquaponic god always shitting on media beds and commercial systems. That guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, that that's the same guy that's pushing the the MBBRs and a bunch of other failed technologies. 
the guy the guy just goes on and rants and raves like a lunatic and and then doesn't actually know what he's talking about 85% of the time um, I don't know so uh, you absolutely can have media beds in a commercial setup um, we're actually doing 6,000 square feet of media beds um, and and what we're doing is is that there's a bell siphon in each one we have a master fill line we have a drain line for each row um, I actually have been posting some pictures of it anyone that's been following we will we'll, I'll show you the pictures of the full the full facility when it's um, we're about to, to finish plumbing the the main uh, main greenhouse but um, with the dual root zone so we have a separate manifold that that goes to top water all of those plants uh, separately from the uh, the flood and drain at the bottom and it all it is is just a little ring that goes around the plant uh, and that feeds to a central manifold that, that floods from the bottom upwards so it purges any air and allows us to have a very fine amount of control into how much each pot uh, gets water so um, this way I can set it to a few seconds or whatever and I know all of them got you know half an ounce or an ounce of water or eight ounces of water or whatever I'm trying to do uh, I can measure that and because all of them are filling simultaneously at the same rate because they're all being filled from the bottom um, it, it uh, when when it fills that manifold and then goes over a U to, to go back down to the plant itself it allows us to, to have you know a ton of control and have it automated to where we can just flip a switch and turn the pump on for a little while uh, and it automates that whole top top watering of all the soil all, all at once this way we can set similar type plants with similar feeding um, we'll actually have five uh, IBC totes that we can mix different nutrient mixes so I could say hey this is for my heavy feeders uh, this one's for my stuff close to flower uh, this is for my stuff that's just starting up in, in early veg and I can make up different formulas uh, aside from the mineralization uh, for top feeding and then choose which tank I want to pull from and then run that to any manifold. Um, it makes it a lot easier and makes it so that we can just mix up our, our batches and then go out to the greenhouse and hit a button and, and watch it get watered and not have to do anything. Go ahead, Mr. Regis. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, you know, I was thinking that... Um, you know what what you said marty about because you know because we're because we're you know this is a i mean an, an aquaponics channel and this reason why i started thinking about this was because of the old issue of of well uh, hydroponics hydro yielding more and a lot of people say oh you know, you can yield more with hydro, but you'll get better quality or something growing in containers in uh, in natural soil or, or it, but the general, I think, feeling is that, is that yield is lower in containers and in soil mix than in water cultures, uh, not hydro, but in water culture systems. And that is probably true. And I think that the main reason is because of inaccurate watering is inability to water because, um, I've, I, I think I, I've done quite a number of uh, crops where I've equaled a water quality system with, um, with containers just by watering well, just by, you know, really giving plenty of water and making sure the plants never, never, ever, uh, because really yield is the limitation. I mean, water is the limitation of yield. You know, water is what limits yield more than nutrients. The idea that nutrients are the thing that 
that sets the limit on yield. I don't really, I don't really agree with that. I don't really believe that. Um, well, I really think that. I've put. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I've put plants out the last week of July and pulled them down. They were 13 feet tall and you know four and a half to six pounds per plant, and that was put out last week of July in an aquaponic setup. Yeah. So you know, yeah. absolutely, the water, water uh, ac unlimited access to water can really accelerate uh, growth rate yeah. and yield. Sure. Yes, and, and cannabis cannabis never gets enough water in containers. It never. I, I'll tell you why, because when you immediately after you repot in in one week, that plant is getting starting to get root bound in two weeks. You know what I mean? It really it's already its limit. Its roots are limited immediately. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. During veg, once it starts flowering, actually at a certain point, depending on its genetics, it's going to stop growing its roots anywhere, and that's a whole nother issue. But, <laughs> but, but, they, but you know, for sure, water, water is the limitation of yield in general, all around, mm -hmm. and it really, it really makes a big difference with cannabis. So everybody out there uh, growing in soil and containers really need to up their game with watering much more and need to concentrate on a lot more than than nutrients you know nutrients are yeah, they're important but they're they're secondary in importance to the water the main difference is in that the, the reason why your aquaponics yields so much is basically just because the plants are getting good water they're also getting a great quality of nutrients and there's a bunch of other things too but i'm just saying that in my opinion, the primary thing that's moving all that is the watering. So, yeah, constant you know, access to water, I think, is what is yeah. is in is um, the easiest to accomplish in aquaponics because, especially flood and drain aquaponics with dual root zone, because again, you can have you're you're in unlimited access to air through certain parts of the root zone and unlimited access to water through certain parts of the root zone. So really it's kind of the best of both worlds. You can't really accomplish that very well in soil, right? Because if your water is occupying the space that your air normally takes up, and that's why you have to have, it can have them at different times um, in diminishing ratios but you can't ever have them in that same balance that I think that you can get out of aquaponics or through sub-irrigated planters. And I think that's really the only other place that I've seen like rapid growth, like especially in veg where you get really fast uh, growth. It, that's, I, I feel like is coming from that constant access to water and, and uh, air at the same time. And I think that the way that you listed all of those things uh, in terms of importance, you know, like you have, um, you had light and, and water both above nutrients. I think access to that is kind of like, I would put those three in the same order. Like if you don't have quality light, you're, you're not going to be able to achieve good photosynthesis over enough time to be able to create plant tissue. And then obviously you have the, uh, water, which is sort of what is fueling the entire thing, right? You can't really do it without pressure and water that can move throughout the plant. And then you have the, you know, like the, the brick and mortar nutrients. And I think the plant can do a lot more with, with less nutrients than what, you know, we originally thought we were doing by, by pushing high PM, PPM stuff. And then, you know, like we talked about microbes and, and triggering uh, different things inside of genetics, which I think is still obviously valid conversation and stuff like we had on, on Tuesday, but if you just take those top three and, and you're just talking about growth 
I think those are what, uh, you know, access to, to both water and, and light are going to be your, your top two. And then if you can also do nutrients, especially like you were talking about healthy, uh, <coughs> good source uh, nutrients with a healthy diversity of microbes, then that, you know, that's essentially the, the top layer of our soil. That, that's what grows stuff outside and why it works inside, I think. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's 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 pretty much my rave. I just wanted to I just wanted to 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 really get on the watering thing, just because I know everybody's plants are really lacking in, in, in water right now. And if you're if you're in containers, water heavily. Oh, well, one, one yeah. more thing I wanted. I did actually. I think of one other thing about something that I do, and that is I don't. I use a pretty drainy mix in my my soil mix. I know. So. Uh, I, I, in other words, I don't I don't use like a fox farm type mix with a lot of loamy stuff in it. I, I put a lot of sand and gravel and kitty litter and things that drain a lot. And uh, that makes it easy for me to leave a plant sitting in a in a runoff tray, you know, in a deep runoff tray. So it's uh, so when you have a really drainy mix like that, it's almost like you're halfway hydroponic anyways. You, you can. You know the plants. Uh, they they get they're they're getting a lot of oxygen at the roots anyway, and you can just let them sit in the water, and they're still pretty happy. And, and, and another th another thing that made me think of too is completely submersing plants because you know I've been for a couple of years now I've been like dipping plants to I I tip them upside down and I I water dip them to fight spider mites and things like that. And I was thinking the other day. Cause I just sit there and swish them up and down. But what if I stuck a plant and just, what if I had one of those big, tall, uh, uh, you know, uh, cylinder shaped, uh, uh, reservoirs. And I just stuck the whole plant down all the way in underneath the water, you know, three or four feet underneath the water and just left it there for a couple, three, five, 12 hours. I think it'd be fine. I think it's going to get plenty of oxygen. And, you know, I mean, if the water is oxygenated, and uh, how would the spider mites feel about that? <laughs> Being underwater for 12 hours. <laughs> I don't think they'd like it too much. But anyway, <laughs> anyone else have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Does it sound like that would work? Because you know, I get a small setup and I can experiment. I can try it. What, what do you think? Your plants. I wouldn't submerge your plants for anything more than 15 to 20 minutes. No? No, because they still need a gas exchange. Even if you have a hyper... You might be able to do it if you hyper-oxygenated it, but, you know, what, what we used to do at aquaponic sources, we actually had a tank that had a whole bunch of guppies in it and smaller totally. fish, like aquarium fish, and we'd, we'd get uh, aphids on the peppers in the showroom, and I would just take the pepper out of the, the grow bed, put a rubber band with a rock on the roots of it and sink it to the bottom of the tank, and the little guppies and everything would sit there and, and eat, you know, gorge themselves on the aphids, and in about, you know, five, ten minutes, the thing was stripped clean. Totally, um, you know, and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't punch on the leaves at all. That's we could do a survey. You know those, you know those manicure, you know those little fish that like you, you put your feet in the in your in the water and they like manicure your feet and they you sit there and they you know bite off all the little. <laughs> so there's something you get. You go to Thailand or whatever, right, to get this. Um, yeah, I've seen that before too. I, we I'm, could I'm, do that. I'm we should, 
we should start a business. That's a great idea. We'll 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 start like a uh, we'll have the we'll find out what kind of fish love to eat spider mites and just <laughs> sink that plant under there with the whole school of these little mosquito fish or whatever they are in there. Like hey, do, 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 pick them all off. <laughs> Integrated pest management. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting off. I'm getting off. Um, so we had another question in chat is, have you heard any more about that combo probiotic earthbox aquaponic test that Alan is running? Love to hear more about dual root zone. I'm not sure about his test. Uh, I, I mean, I talked to him like last week, but um, the uh, I know that we have some earth boxes and we're using aquaponic water to water them. Um, I don't know if that counts. They're not hard plumbed like I think Alan's are, but um, I think Marty might have fucked around with that a little bit. So I have, they're not, they weren't earth boxes. They were sub-irrigated planters. And actually this picture that you're looking at right here was, this was uh, like Oregon blackberry by peach frost, I think is what it was. And uh, yeah, it was, it worked really well. So I, these were sub-irrigated planters that were, I made them myself, but they were, um, they were basically earth box, homemade earth boxes, and then watered with aquaponic water from the system. So basically I would dose my aquaponic system with everything. Then I would take the water out to feed the sub-irrigated uh, planters. And then I would replenish the water in the fish tank and top it back off. So that was that was my method. And that's the, um, other than the original soil mix was basically just um, mostly homemade soil mix that I did here. It was originally Coots mix. Uh, that's from an aquaponic system but these all these right here so this whole this was uh one two three this is about three sub-irrigator sub-irrigated planters worth under 660 watts of ceramic metal halide so that's my sub-irrigated planter experiment and uh i'll have some more pretty soon moving uh 10 days that's the countdown right now so I'll be setting up some more experiments. I have 11 and a half acres out there, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Are we are we talking about uh, what we're going to do up there yet, or no? Um, not quite yet. Okay, cool. Okay, Marty's scheming. Good thing. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, as far as the variegated planter goes, combined with aquaponics, his are, are actually going to be. Uh, so he'll be, I believe, using an automated system, just pumping into the the reservoirs that will be linked together. I, he hasn't sent me the pictures like he promised to yet, but uh, that's what we, we talked about beforehand. I don't know if he's changed it at all. Um, so that would be the only difference is I manually, because this was a pretty small setup, so I was just manually filling the reservoirs. And uh, when it got pretty hot, I was having to refill the reservoirs about every other day because they weren't, weren't very big reservoirs and they were drinking a lot. It's pretty warm. <clears throat> so it does require refilling a lot, but uh, that was the method that I used uh, to grow these and they, they came out great. They look amazing. The color of the leaves is really beautiful. It looks like there's a lot of, uh, looks like you got a lot of fall foliage going there. Love that. Yeah, so this was this was pretty late in the flower. This is probably like six and a half weeks or so, something like that. 
beautiful. Very beautiful. And that and that shows, uh, you know, withholding uh, nutrients too, nitrogen and stuff like that. You yeah, you can see them start to start to fade out. And this was, uh, yeah. um, and then they they faded pretty hard after that. I don't know if I have any pictures from those, but here's mm. here's kind of a close up. Super frosty. There's a big discussion going on on IC Mag now about whether about flushing, you know, and about what what that means and all that kind of stuff. People, you know, trying to decide. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, people think it means a lot of different things, but um, but whether or not even whether or not uh, the withholding of the nutrients, you know, which, uh, you know, towards the end of the whether that actually improves the quality or not. I'm absolutely convinced it does. I, I to me, there's no I'm not much of a debate in that area. You can, so you can taste the fertilizer <laughs> if it's not flushed. It'll give you that that either right between the eyes headache or the back of the base of the skull headache. Oh, that for sure. But but I mean, also just the, just even trying to you know sort of start sort of end starve the plant a little bit during during or past peak flowering, so that so the chlorophyll you know goes down a little bit. I don't I, I don't think I really do that. I don't think I really try to do that. I think my method just with the small containers and everything sort of automatically does that a little bit. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe that doesn't really make any difference. I don't know. They do that in tobacco. I mean, that's what uh, tobacco is. You know, that's why uh, the the bottom leaves, if it, commercially they just harvest, I know, the whole plant. But if you have like, uh, you know, you're growing your own and your gourmet tobacco, you're going to harvest the lower leaf, the most yellow lower leaves gradually as they yellow going up because those ones taste better than ones that are full of chlorophyll. So it's the same in tobacco. I don't see why it would be different in cannabis. Anyway, <laughs> that's yeah, my two cents. Like you know, that debate comes up like once a week. <laughs> and yeah, uh, right. I know, I know. I didn't yeah. mean to bring up that stupid no, no, tired debate again. But <laughs> sorry, everybody in chat. <laughs> no. that's, that's some boring shit, I know. But... No, I think it's always good to cover because you always because the I think the first issue you hit on right away, which is that it's uh, people define it as different things, right? When I say I'm flushing and you say you're flushing, we're not really doing the same thing. So that's kind of the first thing that you have to establish is what was flushing even? How are you defining it for this conversation? Precisely. So not everyone's gonna agree, right? So. Um, and I think what it comes down to is the idea of lowering the amount of nutrients that are being that are available to the plant later in flower. Yeah. So if that means you're feeding through a nutrient tea or you're feeding with hydro food, I mean, you're then going to be switching to just water in the later parts of flower for yeah. that definition of flushing. Yeah. But then you have living soil growers who will say, Oh well, I all I feel all I water the plant the whole time is water. How can I flush anything? Sure. If I, if I that's all I'm doing, and so then you're going okay. Well, now you're talking about a, a a growing method where you're putting in the amount of nutrients that are going to you want to be available to the plant throughout its life cycle. So there you're adjusting your soil mix. To not have excessive nutrients towards the end of flower, 
or else yes. you can go in the same the same thing. So, but, but some of the some of those living soil guys though they'll grow in uh, in a bed, for example. I think that's the way like soma grows. Yes, and some of these guys, and so it's a bed, and so the. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of formulated the idea that I'm pretty sure that when a cannabis plant doesn't want any more nutrients via the dirt, it stops growing its roots in search of them. And that's one of the best ways to tell that it's done looking that it would rather at this point, it would rather use stored nutrients. So it, it so it prefers to use the stored nutrients, the nutrients down at the roots are just a stress to it, you know what I mean? Right. And so I think that's one of the reasons why it stops growing its roots in in search of so in Soma's beds, he could have very nutritious soil still sitting there a foot away from the plant, but the plant has stopped growing its roots, and it's used up the nutrients in that zone. And it's not looking for any more anyways. And, right. you know, I, I think it's almost like a decision that the plant kind of makes. And then we sometimes with our methods, we fuck it up by trying to still trying to force feed it and stuff like that. Well, when it's already said, OK, folks, I'm full. <laughs> it's already backed away from the table kind of, you know. And uh, anyway. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I totally agree. And then just, the, you know, the other aspect of, of the it can still exist and be an issue that you have to deal with in living soil or whatever your method is that if your plant's still taking up a lot of nutrients towards the end of flower, the result, you know, is probably going to be the same and you just need to adjust accordingly. So depending on what your growing method is, then you just adjust whatever that is. If your soil mix needs to be less, if you need to top dress in flower earlier or not at all, uh, you know, like, all of those different variables. However, you're using your control of your nutrients. Uh, you know, maybe you stop feeding microbes. We Alan was talking about with his earth boxes that he stops adding microbes so that his plants will mature faster and not not extend out longer. And so, even there, where you're not adding nutrients as being a concern, he's not adding as many microbes because in his testing, he had multiple people come back and find out that they were having issues with plants not wanting to finish or, or taking longer to finish if they continue to feed microbes. Wow. So <clears throat> I thought, you know, that's, that's first of all, it's a uh, great use of the uh, group that he put together in Facebook and having so many testers that can communicate back to you and catch something like that. And then be, be so cool as to like announce the change in, in something that, you know, to say, hey, this is something that everybody needs to do that's bought all of our stuff. We made significant effort to, to tell people kind of like what we wanted. Uh, what was that company that their LED lights were fucked up with certain types of timers? Steve? Oh, yeah. Remember, it was the Spectrum King and was it Black Dog? What was that? The, who had the LED lights that wouldn't shut all the way off when you used? The Black Dogs. Black Dogs. Yeah, so black dogs didn't do. It had a minimum amount of power. I had to pull at all times to. Uh, yeah. There was something really weird about the power draw on the black dogs that was causing them with controllers to where they weren't working right. And I remember, right. I, I, if you go back and listen to the episodes with um, Fish Ganja guy, he talks all about it. Right. So what we wanted them to do is what Alan did, which is reach out to the people once he found out there was an issue, they and they had lots of information to establish it. He put out all the information and said, you know, to everyone saying, hey, this is how you you should change it. And, and I felt like he made it and had the ability to communicate with them in his group. Again, it was pretty, pretty powerful. 
but it just gives you an idea of as as it moves later into flower you want the plant to decide to stop taking up nutrients right and then I, I do think that that happens i think that a plant can be in an environment that has nutrients in it there's some some environmental uh change or something happens i i've seen certain plants that I feel like they just decide they're they're done taking up nutrients and they're just going to finish flowering, and they start dropping leaves. Some strains I feel like lean heavily in that direction, like shishkaberry. I've grown it in the ground. I've grown it in sips, and I've grown it in aquaponic systems. I've seen it at my friend's grows where it does the same thing. And towards the end of flower, it basically looks like it's about to die, but it'll still just keep growing and stacking flower until it it kind of trims all of its shade leaves for you they they'll just die right off and fall off and it'll finish up and the bud is super tasty and good and it, it's just a it's like a cultivar thing and if you've seen it in enough places then you can do that i think uh who's the other panelist that grew it um after i talked about it before he's been on a few times i can't think of his name now i haven't grown it there was some berry you're talking, yeah yeah shishkaberry yeah so there was somebody else on the on the panel here. I can't remember who it was now, but somebody else grew it. Not not that's here. That's not here. Right is now. it is it very fast? It finishes really quick. It's like done. Bam. Yeah, and it starts really fast too. Like it starts really fast. 12, 12, It's like three flowers within like a few days. It's like already popping off. So it it starts quick, finishes quick, and looks like death towards the end. Like it looks like you're like, man, I wonder if I'm doing something wrong, and. Uh, it just stops taking up nutrients. Like it, it just decides when it's done and it doesn't take up nutrients. And it, you can just watch it eating all the shade leaves and dropping them, stripping all the nutrients out of them. And uh, so there's obviously variables in there. Some of yes. them genetic, some of them genetic. genetic yeah. We don't necessarily know how to trigger yet, uh, but you know, it's in there somewhere. I'm sure we'll, we'll isolate it even more. Yeah, you know, it's definitely true that some plants are easier to sort of on this this over. I think I still I still think it's kind of possible to overfeed plants uh, during you know during flowering and peak past peak flowering, and that and it may have to do. I'm not a I'm sort of an organic you know I I'm not all that I know a fair amount about nutrients, but I'm sure a lot of people here know a hell of a lot of more about them than I do, and uh, you know I I feel like. Uh, some nutrients, you know, maybe it's the nitrogen or something like that causes the other ones to also continuously to be uh, continuing to be uptaked if it's available, if it's there by the roots. Because I think it is possible to, for example, cause a plant to kind of continue to grow uh, more vegetative mass during peak flowering or during flowering. And, and that maybe kind of can lower the quality a little bit as well. To, in other words, just sort of just sort of increase the the vegetative mass of the leaf, the leaf kind of in the interfloral leaflets and everything, without necessarily changing. Because I I think the number trichome count number is is genetic. I think that you can probably change the size of the the resin thing, globs and things like that. But I'm pretty sure because I've spent a lot of time looking at them under, you know, microscopes and things and on the, on the leaves that the number, the number of trichomes per area, you know, 
is pretty, I think it's kind of, it's genetically, I think it's a genetic thing. But I think with feeding, with improper feeding, you can kind of increase the, the, the vegetative mass of the plant. And I don't, and that could, you know, sort of reduce, uh, kind of in a way, kind of reduce the potency because you're increasing leaf mass and leaving your trichomes and resin amount and everything sort of the same. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why some people like talk about, Roger was talking about the other night about a plant losing, having good smells, good terpene smells up during flowering and then at a certain point they kind of go away. And, and I think that's often as a result of some kind of like feeding error like that. And it may have to do with this kind of increasing the green uh, mass or increasing the leaf mass in there and just sort of spreading the trichomes out, kind of watering it down a little bit. You know, I don't know. I, I, and, and again, that may, that's probably a, a genetic factor, whether the plant will, you know, it maybe if it's like a shishka berry, like Marty says, it's just not having it, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas maybe some other kind of sativa that might go for a 12 week flowering period or something like that might continue to take up nutrient, might be talked into taking up more nutrients. Uh, and so that would take, again, it, that would take more skill uh, to, to stop, to know when to stop. The shishka berry, you don't need the skills to stop feeding the thing because it just folds its arms and says, I've had enough, you know? Yeah, Whereas I another- think, <coughs> I do yeah. think that one thing about the shishka berry that's interesting is because I did grow it from multiple runs is that, and in multiple ways is that when it first started happening and I did feed it a little bit more, I top dressed it again, I felt like it died faster. I feel like the plants that I just huh. had grown in the next run, um, when I was expecting it, I just didn't do anything to it. I felt like it just not, you know, like it was, it was better with, without adding more to it. Um, and it, it was, a, it wasn't a lot that I had to do just a little top dress with, uh, you know, some, some P and K, like no nitrogen or anything. And I didn't, I didn't change my, my feed to the fish at all or anything like that. So it was a pretty minor change, but I did feel like it was better to not give them anything after they decided they were done. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. It's a complicated subject. There's many variables, but, uh, but it is a cool one because it's really important to connoisseur quality cannabis. And I think that's what we're about here where we're, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of the only market that's left for, for <laughs> you know, whether we want it or not, that's what we got. Um, but right. I think it's what most of us are about anyway, you know, like anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think that, and I think it's safe to say that, every uh, casual grower even if they're every backyard grower it could be uh, is potentially the connoisseur grower too because to them they're not commercial for example you know so they don't mind uh the uh, the longer season well supposing they live far south enough to do it uh sativa you know and and flowering it for a longer period of time they're not they're not commercial and they don't have to get the crop in and done and you know what i mean so so whatever, whatever else to fiddle around with and do fun things with and everything, the, the, the home grower is going to go the extra couple of yards to, to ensure their connoisseur quality. I think lots of home growers all over, you know, are going are gonna to get close to connoisseur quality their first, their second year, you know, 
just simply because, you know, outdoors, I'm saying, not maybe not indoor growing, forget it. That's, that's hard. But, <laughs> but, out, but outdoors, you know, you, you pop that plant outdoors in your garden next to your tomato and you're probably going to do, going to do great. You know, the, the hardest part is going to be the trimming and, and uh, the, you know, the curing and the drying. That's, that's the most work. And who's going to really even do that in the future? You know, you get you're only going to probably trim the, the top nice top most beautiful nugs and probably make soap out of the rest. Oh my God, that's terrible! No, we will make hash out of it. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, seriously, if you got three three five pound plants in your backyard and so does your neighbor, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah give it away. There was a there was a question from Chad. It goes. Um, what were the good points I can ask to spread the word on uh, protecting home growers' rights to grow, uh, protecting small farms against large out-of-state businesses? Um, don't let individual cities decide if they want to let cities or cannabis in their cities. So first off, making sure that uh, they do not have local jurisdiction and do not have the right to ban businesses from their town. They have no right to tell you um, where you can and cannot put a business. Um, you know, ask if they bring it up at a city council meeting, ask them when it was that you got a chance to vote on opioid dispensaries, because I don't remember getting a chance to vote on that. Uh, and that actually kills people. So if they want to, you know, and it generally shuts people the fuck up in the room when you bring that up. Um, as far as why they should, you know, arguments that will, will work well for why you should include home growing. Um, a lot of patients have very specific cannabinoid and terpene needs, and they have to have it. In fact, a, a guy that's been on the show many times, J.R. Token, needs a very specific type of, of cannabis for his uh, the, the nerve damage because he's an amputee. Um, and where they, where they cut his leg off, he has a lot of nerve pain, and there's only a handful of strains that have a very particular type of chemo bar. Um, that actually help him tremendously. And, and this, this same type of thing is true for people that have seizures, that have cancer, that have all the, you know, all these other types of things. So, and that's why they need to protect home growing. Sometimes you have to have the plant that you know will heal you and, and you cannot rely on, you know, because a dispensary might decide that something's not profitable and suddenly you're completely cut off from the one medicine that it was that helped you. And, and you're seeing that happen with medical patients, particularly seizure patients are being thrown through the ringer. Um, and, and, and a lot of times, too, you'll have people that are mislabeling stuff or, or maybe they didn't even get it. Maybe the person that, you know, three wrongs before they did mislabeled the seed. Uh, I know that we have some seeds right now that are... Um, labeled queen tomato that are definitely not queen tomato. There was no queen tomato on the original list. I know what they are because they were mislabeled, but um, you know, things like that happen. And um, you know, you could end up completely screwing someone over or even killing someone um, inadvertently by cutting them off from their, their supply. Yeah. And I, I think that on, on top of that, you'll see a lot of, a lot of them just simply won't be grown in a commercial space. You know, they'll argue that you could go buy it at a dispensary and there's not any dispensary that's going to carry a 14-week flowering period sativa that is going to produce like, you know, two ounces per cubic foot. You know, like there, it, it's just not going to be a... Um, suitable for production no, nobody's going to want to flower that long and reduce the amount of time that you spend in a commercial environment that it takes to grow 
um, you know, eight to 10 weeks is like max. I mean, you start talking a 14 week sativa and they're going to be like, well, you know, so you're literally like trying to beg someone to be a grower for you that it, it's going to be difficult for, for them to be able to do in a lot of current regulations. So I, I would say that as far as arguing for home grow is that, you know, it's, should be a constitutional right to be able to to medicate yourself and treat yourself and besides that go fuck yourself like that's the way that i would take it and the place to do this if you want to know like who to tell to go fuck themselves because that's important like you can't just tell some joe schmo on the street to go fuck themselves because that's not going to matter you have to go tell your council people if you live in a city you need to find out who's on your city council and you need to vote for whoever's on your city council if you haven't legalized yet great now is the time to vote for your city council if you have already legalized the regulations haven't come out yet you're a little bit late but okay let's go ahead now and still vote for your council people if you're outside of city limits then you need to look at your county regulations in your county council in most places and those council members are going you're going to need to vote for those are you are you pro medical cannabis no, then I'm not going to vote for you things. Have a nice day. And there's probably only going to be like one or two in most places, unless you live in a lim in like some sort of liberal area, then you're probably going to have some options. Um, but in places that haven't already legalized, there's, you know, your options might be limited. So maybe it's a compromise. I don't know. But those are the people that you need to go talk to, engage with. And even if they don't agree with you, you need to be able to have discourse with them at council meetings like Steve's talking about when they start bringing up these points and they will they'll bring up things like oh well we got to protect the kids from what opioid opioids alcohol like what are we protecting them from yeah <clears throat> what are the repercussions like you have to ask real hard questions to those people and say you know, like, you know how you protect the kids you make sure the person selling it to them ask them for ID at a dispensary since right. 2012 since 2012 not a single case of anyone selling to uh, any single dispensary in any state has had a single prosecuted case of them selling to underage people a single one in any state the alcohol industry not even remotely close to that but those are the questions you're going to have to deal with and you'll probably make they'll want you to make compromises along the way and that'll be that'll be up to the legislators to figure out maybe in the end you'll end up so that the they won't have some sort of control over regulation but the important part is is that those council people will be the last line of enforcement for any type of regulation so uh you know outside of of the law enforcement obviously in the legal states and stuff like that but when it comes to legalization they are going to be the boots on the ground in terms of, of uh, you know, making sure you're following zoning laws or any of the other bullshit that they'll be able to come up with if the city or county becomes available. So if you're still voting on a state level, then obviously you want to shoot for for state control um, on an independent board. Like you don't want what happened here in Oregon or I think also in Washington, which is where everything got grouped together with the liquor council. So you uh, basically the same people that were in charge of distributing alcohol in Oregon, which I don't know, but the, a lot of people don't know, but we have uh, state run liquor stores. Essentially they're only open certain times. 
<coughs> in Oregon for hard alcohol. So the idea was that since we were going to regulate it the same way that we regulated hard alcohol, that the liquor commission should also be in charge of cannabis, who obviously no idea what the fuck they were doing about any part of it. Um, so the even just the like the paperwork side of it was kind of a clusterfuck and and became an issue. Uh, so an independent board is a great thing to shoot for, preferably state, because then there's only one of them. And, I, and if they argue against yeah. that, all you have to do is bring up Nevada. Let's not forget what happened with Nevada. The liquor board said they wanted to do all the transportation and they demanded it. They got their way. Guess how many new vehicles they hired onto the fleet to do transport for the entire cannabis industry? Eleven. For an entire state of Nevada. So they had to literally declare a state of emergency in Nevada to overturn that law and, and allow cannabis companies to, to transport their own material. So if you get, you know, again, bring up how well these guys have fucked it up before when they try to say, oh, that won't work. Really? Because the last time we tried your idea, the, we, this, the governor literally had to declare a state of emergency to, un, to, to fix the situation. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that you can definitely point to, to failures and other regulation, um, you know, like the collapse of both the Washington and Oregon medical programs, um, you know, the, the, uh, the bottleneck that happened with um, certifying labs uh, over here once the state required that um, it, uh, labs that do testing for product had to be state certified. So in order to um, to do testing for your percentages of THC, your you know cannabinoids and your <clears throat> terpene profiles and testing for pesticides and all of those different things. So in order to be a, a certified laboratory, you had to go. You basically you had to pay the state to do what you were already doing. So it was already annoying. But the the issue was is once they established that, as soon as that went into effect. No, nobody could get any lab testing done until that went through. And it, instead of just extending out that period, there was a period of time in which you couldn't get any extracts tested um, or, or any flour tested from a, you know, quote unquote, state certified place. So a dispensary couldn't buy it. So there was this kind of lag time in between. And so it, it caused this big issue. So there are different, different failures in regulation like that, that, uh, a lot of times come in complication by going down to the city and county level. Each one of those levels has to decide on the regulations and how they're going to enforce them and find funding for them and everything. So you have all of these, you have everyone trying to solve the, the same problem as opposed to like the way the, the medical program worked in Oregon previous to legalization. It was a state run program. So basically, if you were inside of city limits, then you had this set of regulations. If you were outside of city limits, you had this set of regulations. And that was pretty much it. And so um, by having it consolidated down to, to um, just to a manageable level in terms of enforcement or decision making or regulations, um, it just simplifies things greatly because there's so many less people making decisions um, and so many less regulations that that end up coming in. It's the same set for everybody uh, across the state. So it might be difficult to 
agree on those, but uh, you know, the California and Oregon and even Washington medical programs previous to legalization were were much better off, and that was how how they all functioned. So, I think it's it's much better to to shoot for if your legislation hasn't passed yet to having it be a you know a single statewide panel that makes those decisions as opposed to each city and county making their own decisions about how they're going to enforce them um, and, and put things in place. So that's my my two cents for the best thing that you can do is, is go to those meetings uh, because the, the trend is that they will get some form of control in other states where there's legalizations and they love to copy and paste. But other states that have already legalized most of them give some type of ability of the city and the county to be able to add their own regulations that stipulate how much you can grow, where you can grow it, where you can have a dispensary, where you can extract it, how much you can extract at the time, how much extracts can be in individual packaging for one serving size, and so on and so forth. It just gets out of control. So there you go. I guess the other night, Ed, that guy Ed, he he seemed to think that you know that home growing was going to be uh, illegal, you know, or that you know, and actually a, a couple of the states, right, that recently legalized, didn't don't they have uh, yeah. like pretty strict laws against home growing and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but I think that once you have federal legalization, I think you're gonna be you're gonna be able to grow everyone's going to be able to grow six or 12 plants. I think at minimum, uh, once the feds legalize, I just, I don't see that not happening. I just do. You can even brew up your own, um, alcohol up to what is it? 20 gallons a year or 200 gallons a year and 20 gallons a month, or there's some restriction on it, but you can still do that. Even, even for something like alcohol, you know, yeah. you know, you can, still, like um, you can still make your own ammunition for, for guns. So it's just one of those things. <laughs> But it will be restricted, but you know, you're not gonna be able to um yeah. yeah. The thing is that the old you know, the it's it's the uh when uh, down at the town meeting when the old grandma shows up and she wants to, you know, and she you know, the right to grow her medicine. You know, you can't you can't deny granny her right to grow her medicine. <laughs> I mean, I hate to put a, I hate to put a point on it, but I, I swear that's, that's the opponent. You know what I mean? They won't, I, I, that's why I really don't think that uh, home growing could ever be, could, could make it to being outlawed. It's got to go the other way because you can't deny, you can't deny people the right to grow their own medicine, but you especially can't deny my grandmother the right to <laughs> grow her medicine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> they already tried. I mean, I hate, they've already tried this whole like not letting people grow thing and everybody's still here. You know, like obviously they put a bunch of people in prison for it, but they still could not stop us from growing our own medicine. Right. You know, on, on large enough scale that would it be exported coast to coast, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, we had, a, I think it was when we had Swami on, I think he was talking about like the vast infrastructure that was the black market, and and he he really like you know reveled in the the extent of it all and, and how how connected it was, and yet you you know you didn't know anybody more than like two steps away from you, yet it went from uh, like 
one, one coast to the other. You know, somebody in New York City was buying weed that was grown in, you know, yeah. North Mendocino and Southern Humboldt and all those places. And it was it was un underground from from point to point and uh, but still made it consistently and distributed often. Um, and so I think that there's there's always that point like they can try if they want to, but you know they they can't take away a, a seed you can plant in your backyard. Um, even if they can harass the fuck out of you, don't don't get me wrong. It is a choice, but uh, but you you can make them come take it from you. I guess is what it what it comes down to. And and if it's important to you, I would encourage you to to move somewhere else. It's taken me two probably yeah almost two years uh, to the day when which I'll actually be moving into a new house from when I I. I took out the last plants that I could have outdoors here and essentially had to shut down. So I think that, uh, you know, if, if it's something, it's not going to be easy. I don't, I don't want to be able to move. Like it, it's tough and stressful and, you know, shit from the County and inspectors and appraisers and, you know, all the bullshit that comes with it. So it, you know, it, it's designed to put you behind, but, you know, go to When you, when you go to a spot, go to a spot that in research and know that you can grow there when when you get there now obviously not everybody has got the ability to do that and i get it some people are going to have to change where they are um as opposed to move somewhere else you know and those that's what we're saying go to those council meetings um you know if you've got a you got to organize to vote and legalize still you're actually in a pretty good place you know you can learn from from all of the different mistakes that <laughs> have been out there in the past you can download other legalization bills if you need something to get started with and just start, you know, going through and editing them and, and creating stuff and getting with other people that are already, every state has got some, some form of a uh, legalization movement happening in it that doesn't already have legalization. So uh, some people are going to be in places where growing, even though it's legal in your state, it's been banned in your county or your city. Guess what? You're going to have to show up to meetings and you're going to have to confront people that are misinformed that are not going to want to believe they're misinformed and you're still going to have to tell them anyway, even if it's just you standing up to them in front of other people to expose the bullshit that they're spewing, it's still serving a purpose in, in the overall. Um, there's always going to be like here in Josephine County, which is just North of me here. We had council members straight walk out of meetings because everybody in the audience is, is, is on the side of growers elderly people in there that are are treating their arthritis they can't afford pharmaceutical medication the literally like mr green Jean was talking about you can't deny my grandma medication people in 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 the audience to the point where a number of them that were not uh pro cannabis uh literally just walked out of the meeting if you've got to push it that far you're pushing the right buttons if they're leaving and abandoning their own meeting don't don't take that as a as a negative. You know that's that's where you're fighting them off. That's the type of resistance that you're going to get once you get down to the city and county level. It's a generally a, a previous generation that has embedded ideas that were that were put into them for years. You're going to have to confront those and either get them out of office or at least not spewing bullshit that nobody will call them on.
on that point is exactly what you're saying. It also shows you who to vote out at the next round of elections. The renewable source of that that politicians are is if they don't do what you need or they're they're doing they're self-serving or like you said an older generation that's locked into their old timey beliefs. You can you'll see who the people that walk out are the people you need to target and and make sure they get voted out the next go round so that you can put somebody in there that's compassionate. You know, yeah, I would say, look, you can either listen to me or we can dedicate this group of people to not getting you elected in this county ever again. And you you might have to do that, but that, you know, that that's what you got to do if you want to be able to get there. These people are going to need to be confronted and and they pop up on on every level, especially if you're not in a very liberal area. Surprisingly, for whatever reason we've talked about this before on the podcast too, but Republicans who are usually all about, you know, the government can't tell me what to do. I don't want bigger government. I don't want more regulations, you know, for whatever reason, do a complete about face. And as soon as they, you know, here you're growing the weeds next door, they want to be able to tell you what you're going to do with your property. They want more government to be able to manage the regulations they want to put in on the evil weed that you're growing next door. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why they can abandon their ideals just because it doesn't necessarily, they don't agree with, with what we're doing with our own property, but you will encounter it. It will be difficult to get over and you might have to just get them voted out. It might be the only option that you have to do. And if that's the case, then just, you're not gonna be able to get them voted out if it's not the majority. If you can give it, convince the majority to vote them out of office, that's just winning a fair fight after you tried to already reason with them. And if they won't listen to you, at least to the point of understanding that you can come to a happy medium with regulations to the point where, you know, they're not discriminatory, they're not uh, over the top, nothing that you wouldn't, um, that they wouldn't consider for an alcohol industry. If I, I don't want regulations on cannabis that you don't have on scotch. And I, that's just kind of the only logic that you can use for them. Because you know some of these assholes are storming out of the council meeting and going home to pour themselves a nice aged scotch and smoke a cigar. Like, they have their own vices in demonizing ours over, and, over and their own thing. vices is, to me, just, like, the root of the problem to start with. And yeah. that, not only that, like with our city council meetings in California, we were showing up to every city. So there was two city council meetings a month. And we were showing up. They were only addressing cannabis at one of those two meetings each month. So we went to the council meeting and, um, you know, all those, those ones, but we weren't going to the other one. Well, they were going to the other one and using their public time to rail against cannabis. And we had no idea that it was even happening. So make sure that you're at least occasionally going to those other ones that aren't cannabis related, that are city council meetings that are being held to make sure that you aren't being thrown under the bus behind your back. Informing yeah. a group can be really helpful so that you can have a group representative. You don't have to go to every meeting, but a representative of the group goes to every meeting and, and can report back what's going on. Because yep. it can be tough, especially for people that have jobs you know, that, you know, some of these meetings are hours long, you know, it, sometimes people have two jobs or maybe they're looking for a job. There's plenty of reasons why it can be difficult to get to every meeting. But if you can, as a collective, 
you know, group up on whatever, you know, social media platform you, you want to group up on and, uh, and be able to organize just a little bit, you know, Hey, I got time. You got time. Who's got time. We don't, none of us have time. Let's recruit a new member. Who's got time. Anybody's friends got time. You know, like you can definitely coordinate to be able to, to make that happen. And, and recording it, you know, you could have one person go and, and set up their laptop and live stream it or record it. Um, you know, these are public record stuff. There's nothing illegal about doing that. So you can absolutely go and like, I could bring my laptop and just put my microphone there and record the live stream, the thing live. And then everyone has access to it, access to it when they do have time, you know? So that's another great option you can do. And that is completely legal. It's really the one function that you can provide no matter what, which is showing up at these meetings and talking to these politicians to make sure that they're as educated as possible. Because the people that are already voted in are going to be there no matter what. So if you're not already involved and legalization is already in process, they're going to need to be educated, plain, plain and simple. Like you're going to have to get out there and, and do it. If it hasn't been started yet, great they're still going to have to be educated at, as it moves forward. So I think that uh, anybody can show up and just make sure they're not spewing some bullshit that it is later going to become, become an issue that's going to prevent, uh, you know, swaying the person that's on the fence that maybe doesn't use it themselves, but doesn't necessarily care if their neighbor grows it. We need that person to vote also. And that that's where it, it, it becomes an issue is that if you can you can disarm enough of their argument which is usually baseless then uh there there's not much else that you can do and are are there certain things that you can compromise on maybe like do we need any sort of commercial cannabis grows within say a thousand feet of a school maybe that's a, a good compromise to make would it be an issue no i don't think it would ever be an issue i don't think it would ever hurt anything. I don't think it would ever be a concern for anyone. I think it would probably bring up property values in the area, be beneficial for the school because it would get more tax funding. But is it an area you can compromise? Maybe. But my advice would be give them nothing. Just compromise as little as possible. It should be like tomatoes. Don't ever fucking forget or let anyone talk you out of the fact that it should be no different than growing tomatoes in my backyard. Do you ever think about how many tomato plants you plant in your backyard or you plant as many as you have space for and think you can consume? Because that's how it should be for cannabis. And anything short of that is a compromise. Can we make compromises? That's going to be a, up to the vote. That's what I, you know, I think everybody has different opinions on that. Is some legalization better than none? Well, that kind of depends. Is your legalization just masquerading uh, prohibition? Another, another form of prohibition. And I think it's probably not great. You know, there are definitely states that have uh, built-in monopolies in their programs, which are obviously not good either. So there are levels of compromise that are not acceptable. Or, or Florida, where you can't put any other plants except for cannabis in the grow, no companion planting, no banker plants. That's completely idiotic and against, you know, best practices for organic production. Right. And so you end up, it, it can be tempting to accept false equivalencies, right? Like even that it's similar to alcohol and should be regulated similar to alcohol, like the assumption that's made here in Oregon. Well, my still my argument has always been, should it? Like, 
I, I can put a, a glass of alcohol on the table and, and my toddler can drink enough of it to go into alcohol poisoning and actually do damage to herself. But, but what about uh, what about cannabis? Like even, even extracts, what's gonna happen if you ate a slab of BHO or you accidentally took a hit off a vape pen? Is she gonna die? Is she gonna get brain damage? Is she gonna what cerebral palsy? Like what? What is? What's the end result when they when they say, "Oh, we're protecting them from the kids"? What are you specifically protecting from? And don't let them get away with shit like overdosing. Overdosing on what? At, at what level? Are you talking about uh, to your comfort level? Like I'm sure everybody's heard some sort of story about someone taking too many edibles and thinking they're going to die or calling the cops because they're so worried about it. Is that an overdose? Or are you talking about overdose to the point of death or damage to the person that's doing it? Because even then, those people got embarrassed, but they're fine. So you end up being tempted to accept these false equivalencies, which is that, that we're, we're protecting them from some sort of a similar issue. And I think that's a that we get baited into that a, a lot just so that we give ground because they don't want to be completely wrong. And uh, so there's a there's a fine line in in what areas you can give because as soon as you give a little bit, they're going to want to take more and add more regulation to it. So it's important in every uh, in every meeting that you go to to make sure that you at least weed out the stuff that is just nonsense. That, that is just being spread like it matters or has any sort of validity and isn't being challenged. You have to be the person that says, where, where's your data to back that up? What, what, what specifically are you talking about when you say you're gonna protect the kids or you're gonna, you're gonna per, you treat it the same way as you treat alcohol? Well, why is it the same way you're treating alcohol? Just because you want adults to be able to consume it? Like it just seems like I actually identifying what it is about it that is going to be a problem if you allow it to continue really yet really break it down to that level for them like okay well I get you're concerned about the kids I get that I'm concerned about kids too what is it that you think is going to happen when when uh, when you don't have these regulations how are these regulations going to help the kids, for instance, how how why is it going to make a difference if the there's a Oregon State has a live stream of my compost pile? Are you actually suggesting that I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to have kids breaking into my compost bin and digging out literally shit covered weed? And, and trying to smoke it, and that's the problem that you're trying to prevent? Or what is it that you you are trying to see by requiring to have whatever regulation it is you want to have? Because there will be ridiculous things. You do, in Oregon, have to have live stream cameras to, to the state panel, including anywhere that you put, put raw material for compost. <clears throat> And so I think that there are levels of ridiculousness that will pass through if you're not there to stand up and say, okay, well, what is it exactly we're doing here? And some of it will be out, out like completely out of your reach. They'll decide on regulations that they won't even talk about in meetings, but you still have to show up 
and, and be the resistance to any bullshit and make sure that the people that are making the decisions have actually heard both sides. If if the the growers don't speak up and still say, hey, this shit is just still like tomatoes, um, like especially if you can't, you know, if you've got no way to smoke it, if you just eat a raw bud, you're not even going to get high. You know, like there, there are still people out there that believe that and they sit on your councils and they make decisions about what you can do with it. And if you're not there to give them that information and make sure that they're educated, it's going to be almost a pointless battle. Like you're going to be, you're, you're basically either going to have, like I said, either vote them out or educate them. If they're not willing to be educated, you're going to have to get voted out. If you're not going to listen to reason, if you're not going to, uh, understand data, if you're not going to look at other states for what's successful and what's not, if you're not going to be reasonable when it comes to cannabis, we're going to have to get you out of there. And that's really, that's the only success that I feel like can be had on, uh, on establishing legalization that doesn't eventually encroach on home growing is by having it follow that, that kind of trail. Because otherwise, by the time you get to the point where they can create regulations, if those people are still on the panel, they'll just block as much of it as they possibly can. They will listen to every person that complains. They Jackson County established their first set of regulations based on 26 complaints, based on a huge county that had over 2,000 growers. 2,000 growers, not just patients or, or anything like that, but 2,000 registered patients and out of those, there's only 26 complaints. But because all the council members really wanted to listen to those 26 people, and so they could raise those complaints up and say, here, look, we have these complaints and we're going to address them with these regulations. So before you establish the power and pass it over to someone, you want to make sure those people are at, at least uh, cannabis friendly. You may not be pro-cannabis, but you at least have to be cannabis rational. And I think that's important. If you can't establish some sort of communication with these people before legalization comes in, uh, then they're gonna get handed the keys and they're gonna be driving before you can get them out. And that becomes a problem and home growers get squeezed out relatively quickly. I like uh, Green Jean's quote there from uh, Mr. Hunter S. Thompson, the brutal reality of politics would probably be intolerable intolerable without drugs. <laughs> Thought that was appropriate. Absolutely, especially since it's his birthday today. <laughs> yes, oh. oh shit, I didn't know that, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> happy birthday Hunter S. Thompson from the great beyond. For those of you who don't know, he was fired out of a giant middle finger cannon that was paid for by Johnny Depp. I feel cooler just knowing that. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I like Johnny Depp too, man. He's pretty cool. Thanks to his balls-tastically amazing funeral that was paid for by Johnny Depp. <laughs> It was uh, what is it? Hunter S. Thompson's son said uh, about the night that he shot himself. His son said, and in a strange kind of way, it was a warm family moment. <laughs> and it's like because you know they all knew apparently that he was eventually he was like a what do you call it a hemlock society guy, you know, right? I mean, yeah. he believed in he he uh, he uh, 
was planning to take his own life eventually anyways. Yeah. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I need to I need to wrap up. Um, yeah. I got a pretty good. I tripped today at work and took a pretty good blow to the head uh, into the be one of the beams in the fish house. Uh, so I need to get some sleep. Um, but, right on. Uh, but I appreciate uh, Marty with the the awesome awesome insight tonight. Yeah, you might. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mr. Green Jeans. No, I was just gonna say uh, second that too. Yeah, great, great. And I thought I had to miss some of it. We had a bad storm, so I'm sorry I missed. But I think I've, we've talked about this before. It sounded a lot like something we've had before with Marty, too. It's, a, it's, it's been an ongoing, like Marty said, with him for two years. So we've had a, so many discussions on this. But I, I want to apologize for being late. We had a real bad storm here. And Steve, you said you had a friend come over. I hope you got a friend that's going to be checking on you every couple hours tonight while you're sleeping. So Yeah. Yep, yep. So okay. everybody... Um, uh, Marty, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? Oh yeah, so I'm uh, AP Meds on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, or not on Facebook, but I am on Facebook in the Aquaponic Cannabis Growers Group. But uh, on YouTube, on Patreon, you can find me at AP Meds. Uh, my channel is AP Meds on YouTube. Um, so yeah, give me up. Cool. Uh, what about you, Mr. Angels? Oh, am I muted? Oh, awesome. Uh, I'm at greenjeansgarden.com. And thanks a lot. Uh, you can just email me there. Anybody's got any, you know, uh, questions. I, I type uh, easy. I type fast. So I'll answer, you know, I, give me a long, <laughs> give me a long email. I'm not, I'm not shy. So thanks a lot, everybody. It's great to be here tonight. <laughs> thanks. And uh, what about you, Roger? Well, you find me at uh, Latewood at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com if you got any need to contact me for anything. Um, and uh, Roger Latewood at either Instagram or Facebook. And as I mentioned before, being legally blind, Facebook's a lot better for me because I can message with you there, and it's easy to use on a PC as opposed to Instagram where I have where I struggle because uh, they, it doesn't like PCs and I can't use a little phone. So. Uh, it's been great to catch up with y'all at the end, and so sorry to again sorry to hear you banged your head today, Steve. But you got a pretty hard head, I think, so you'll be all right. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think a lot of people would agree with that statement. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> meant in meant, meant with love, man. A critic, you know. And, uh, shout out to Chase and Bain who busted ass this week in the heat and last week. Uh, we got most like four hundred and some plants out there now. And hundred gallon pots it's been a lot of work so we got more still to get planted and the greenhouse plumbing is almost ready to get buried so that's going along well and uh yeah uh, you guys can find me at plumponics at gmail.com uh on youtube soundcloud itunes spotify all the places good deal sounds good guys have a good night very cool good night mom shiva <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.